Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. And um, hear the word of the Lord. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we are invited and summoned and called to find our deepest satisfaction in you. Help us to see the connection that that which would detract from our satisfaction in you is in fact a lie. It's a falsehood. That we lie when we say, when we believe, whether we are Christians or not, we lie uh, to ourselves to say, that we, are, we can be and we are more satisfied in other things. Lord, if that is true, would you both show us the emptiness of other things, but also even more importantly, maybe, would you help us to be more satisfied in you? If we are bound up in formalism or hypocrisy or legalism or moralism or uh, any other ism that might bind us up from true satisfaction in the wonder of Christ, would you free us to taste and see that the Lord is good? Even as we deal with your law, this moral law where we necessarily a part of it, we are uh, condemned. We feel the, we see and we feel and we experience the reality that we have fallen short of the glory of God. But may that sting lead us to Jesus. May it not lead us to ourselves to try harder, do better, but would the sting of our failure, the sting of our sin, lead us to the sweet Savior who is the friend of sinners. And would you teach us, therefore, and empower us to obey him. So God, help us walk with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, well, as, you, as we've seen through the Ten Commandments, again, um, big umbrella, uh, moral law of God. This is a, a reflection or a, uh, an articulation of the very character and nature of God uh, because Scripture... In, Somewhere like Romans chapter 2 talks about the law being written on the hearts of every man, woman, and child. And so people are born, uh, we're made, part of the bearing of God's image is a moral character. uh, That we are morally made in the image of God. Not only, but that's a piece of it. Uh, that we're made for right and wrong. This is we, to know right and wrong and to, to follow after God. And, uh, and so we are made with a, uh, if you will, an innate compass, innate moral compass that uh, Abel knew, uh, I mean, excuse me, Cain knew it was wrong to kill Abel. This is why he behaved the way he did before and after, right? He, where he hid and he, you know, all these sorts of things. Uh, that um, they, he knew and he had that before we we read this is that was long long thousand you know long time before uh, Exodus chapter twenty where we have you know don't murder he but he knew it um, Adam and Eve knew that they ought not take what was not theirs to take right there was a 
form of theft in the garden. They knew it because God had commanded it, but they knew it also doubly because not only had God commanded it, it was uh, written on their heart in a way. Now, what's happened with the fall is that that innate compass of, of truth, not only of, of right and wrong, but a knowledge of God has been both muddied in the sense that it's not clear as it once was, uh, and then it is suppressed. Romans chapter 1, again, he talked, the, room, the Apostle Paul talks about uh, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So that part of our sinning, part of the sinning of human, of human beings, unredeemed, unregenerate, what I mean by that are people who have not been born again. Uh, part of the, the, our sinning, if you think about your life before Jesus, Part of it was a part of the function of it was to suppress the truth of what we already knew to be true about God. And so people are caught up into this. Yet we have this not only that implant, that, that innate knowledge, uh, but we also have here the outward revelatory, right, as a part of God's revelation in Scripture. Uh, revelation, not the book of Revelation, but God's self disclosure in Scripture is what I mean by that. Uh, that we have a part of that God's sort of restating here is here is my moral law and it's different than it's the the Ten Commandments stand distinct from the rest of the law uh, because one they're the only part of the law that's written by the very finger of God uh, they are treated differently articulated differently in Scripture uh, they are articulated and treated differently by Jesus and the apostles. Those are just a couple of places. Uh, and so the law is made up of, the, of a moral component. And by law, I mean the first, all these 613, or, excuse me, um, uh, commandments in the Old Testament are made up of moral, of the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law. And the more that you can get a grasp on those things, um, not to the exclusion of other things, but the more you'll probably be ready for not only dealing with Scripture, but also dealing with the, uh, the people that would sort of throw things in your face about, hey, well, the, God's Word says this. And they say, well, God's Word also says that you can't eat sh- shellfish or uh, wear you know, polyester and cotton at the same time. right? And so that there are parts of the law that are um, they're abrogated, that are done away with in Jesus, uh, that he is the fulfillment both of the ceremonial uh, ceremonial law and he is also the fulfillment of the civil law because the king of kings and he comes bearing the king of the kingdom of god and uh anyway so so that two-thirds of that not not we don't want to say it doesn't apply has no relevancy um but it does not binding upon us as the ten commandments are and and in the sort of the applications of the ten commandments that we see throughout the law that are components of uh the moral law that shows up everywhere so now that i've made your eyes glassy um, but it's, it's important that we couch these things because there are people, there are preachers who are going to do something other than what I've just said with the Old Testament law. Uh, and and they, they might be good godly men. We just disagree. Uh, and I think they're not treating the Bible well. Uh, but then there are people who will do that with, they'll kind of do that division amidst the Ten Commandments. And what they'll ha- end up happening is that they'll take some that they like and they leave the ones, or particularly the one, that they don't like. Uh, for example, right, I, I think I've told the story very – I was – it wasn't here, but I think maybe – I think it was at my last church. It doesn't matter. But I 
came to another pastor and I said, I'm preaching, you know, preaching through the Ten Commandments or I've just finished preaching through the Ten Commandments on a Sunday morning. I forgot uh, again where it was. But uh, and he said, what do you do with, you know, what do you do with the Sabbath? Because a lot of people just want to they want everything else, but they just want to let that one fall. Right. And say that's done away with. Because the Sabbath, you know, they kind of pull it. And I'm not going to get into all that. We've already dealt with Sabbath. But, um, you know, Sabbath isn't, man isn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for the man, all that kind of stuff. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Anyways, uh, but, but I'm saying that these ought to be taken, taken as a whole because they've been given, they were delivered to Moses as a whole. And before I chase any more rabbits, first table is vertically oriented. It's love towards God. You, you know, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, don't make any graven images, any carved images. Don't craft anything and call it God, uh, whether it be something of our imagination or something that is tangible. Uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, honor the Sabbath. And then so this first four are telling us this is how you want to love God, that we that God tell like this is the thing about worship. God is telling his people this is how you love me. That sort of the, this is the complete opposite of our, uh, our, our individualistic experience-based Western spirituality is that we, in our, in our culture, we define how we love. We define how we love God, right? I'm going to do what I, these are the things that make me feel connected. This is how I feel worshipful. This is how I, I experience. So whether, so that might mean I experience God in the, um, you know, drinking a diet Mountain Dew in a deer stand, or I experience God on the golf course, or I experience God watching a movie or reading a good book or sitting on the beach and who doesn't feel good doing all of those things, right? Uh, but but when we've we sort of twisted love into something that is completely subjective, and by that I mean it is completely about what I want, how I feel, how I experience, and that's how we've treated worship. And what and not and this is this will become a hobby horse if I'm not careful. But but what God is doing here, He's saying, no, this is you. This is how you love me. I'm going to. I am the. I am the 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 King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I am the object most worthy of all. Right. I am the. I am a Creator. All everything else is created. This is how you love me. Um, and he and he and he kind of outlines that even more of this is how we ought to worship. And even into the New Testament, here are the components that ought to be in your worship. And be careful when you start adding to them um, for your own sake rather than my glory. Uh, that, there's a, that God tells us this is how you love me. So you love me exclusively. Uh, you love me according to my, how I've revealed myself, not as you want me to look. Commit, second commandment. Uh, you, you love me bearing my name, that you are named as my people. Uh, not just how we use his name in our lips, but how we carry, so to speak, the metaphorical, how we bear his name on our shoulders. He, the banner over us is Christ. How do we carry him? Uh, and then how are you spending your time? That really, the Sabbath comes down to time. Uh, that it, it becomes burdensome when we haven't prepared for a day of rest. Right? If you haven't done anything to get ready for a day of rest, then a day of rest is burdensome. But if you've planned your time and you ordered your time around the things of God, then it, it's not as burdensome. That's okay. So God tells us how to worship him. And then he tells us, really, and uh, he, he tells us how to love our neighbor. How ought we love our neighbor? And what we have on the, 
in all of the commandments, remember, is there's a narrow, uh, there's a narrow definition, there's a narrow application, and then there's a broad principle that has broad application. Okay, and usually the narrow one is this: do not do this, right? Don't murder. Straightforward. Don't go shoot somebody, or however else you might kill somebody. Don't go do that. Um, but there's also the broad principle behind it. And when you think about the broad principle, a good way to get at it from the Ten Commandments is to make it a positive statement. What would be required here? Not just what is prohibited, don't do this, but what might this commandment telling me to do instead of that? So again, going back to don't murder, uh, it's just an easy one that we've done recently. Um, if, the, the, if that's the narrow application that you ought not take someone else's life by willful malice or uh, or um, uh, what's the negligence, right? You don't, you, you don't want to just do it by negligence either. But the broad, ap- the broad principle that would lead to greater application is that life is precious. Like there's, there's a holiness and a preciousness to life because it's given by God, particularly human life because humans bear the image of God. So there's a, there's a broad principle behind the commandment that we have ver- every right to say, this is what the scriptures are teaching and this is how we therefore apply that. Because that's how that scripture is used. That's how Jesus talks about it. Not just that it's this, this very narrow, hey, don't murder. But Jesus takes that and says, it's, we're going to take that all the way down to the heart in the Sermon on the Mount. So we have that model in Jesus. It's not something that is, we've hoisted upon scripture. But this narrow, applica- narrow application, broad principle in application is something of, this is how the Bible deals with itself. And if you want to know how to interpret the Bible, interpret the Bible according to the Bible. Um, scripture, as Scripture interprets Scripture. So our, as I've, that was a, like a 14-minute uh, introduction to our, um, but I want to have these coat hooks, you know, I want to have a coat rack. One of my, and again, this is going to extend the, the introduction, but uh, one of my professors in college He's a history professor. I wasn't a history major. I love history, but I wasn't a history major. But he said, I can't, te- I can't give you everything. I can't give you all the dates. I can't give you all the, the people. I can't give you all the, the ideologies or philosophies. But my job is to give you uh, coat hooks that you can hang stuff on in the future. You can hang stuff on that, like different ages and different events and whatever. And, and so I want these things to be up and running. This is why I, I say this almost every week. So these, this sort of same rundown of this is the moral law, and this is the two tables, and this is how we narrow application, broad application, so that you can go and you can go read the Ten Commandments in three months, six months, three years, and maybe, maybe by God's grace, some of these at least coat hangers or coat hooks are still up and running for you. Even if you don't remember ever, all of the details that I talk about, I want the coat hangers so that you know how to deal with the law of God, so that you know how to deal with the gospel. Because if we don't know how to divide law and gospel, then we're in bad shape. Okay. So, verse 16 of Exodus chapter 2. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The narrow application of this right would be um, almost a judicial function. That there is a dispute between neighbors. And you are called in as a witness that you ought not twist the truth. You're you're not going to bear false witness to benefit one or the other. But your job is to come and tell the truth, that you're a a witness. There is a specific application of this. But why is that important? And what might be the positive from this? What do you think might be a positive, right? If we're going to say, if that's the narrow application, 
tell the truth in court, so to speak, tell the truth about the circumstances, um, what do you think a broad principle? Remember, if you're going to get at the broad principle, you want to take the negative and you want to make it a positive. So what do you think would be the a sort of getting at the broad principle for us to apply? Be honest. Be honest? Okay. Tell the truth. Getting at it. Yes, but yeah, that's, that's in the Bible. If we go back to what's in your heart, um, mm-hmm. and so that would, uh, it's in your heart to uh, tell the truth yeah. to me, and then that to me reflects, that has a reflection on you as a Christian, which then glorifies God. Yeah, yeah. And the sort of a consistent piece in all of these, both the ones that use the word and didn't use the word, is a concern for the truth. That there, we, we live in a world like under, under God, right? That there, there is truth and there is falsehood. There is that which is actual and that which is false. Uh, and so that this may be a positive, um, what is required of us here is a protection and uh, promotion of the truth that we are we're called by this commandment to say we need to protect the truth where the truth is at stake uh, and we need to promote the truth and that could be anything from um, you know how you just maybe a very direct application of that before we get into maybe bigger fish to fry but what do you share on Facebook if you're on Facebook how do you take the time like about true and false are you are you concerned with the protection and the promotion of truth or are you concerned about jabbing your political opponent opponent this would be one um that's just one maybe very narrow application of the broad principle but that we would be concerned about truth um and we see this again as i said when you when you take the the string of the moral law of god you're going to see the string throughout the scriptures and you see it just a couple, just like uh, last week where we saw do not steal and we saw in chapter 22 of Exodus, we saw a whole chapter about property rights, um, that property is actual, actual thing. You know, chapter 23, we see um, this, the ninth commandment at play uh, in verse one, you shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. And then in verse Seven, keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. All of a sudden you see that there's a little bit of a crack of when when false witnesses were up, were doing their thing, where people were were not telling the truth. It was to um, exploit or take advantage of other people. And, and here's a great point to see the, again, the interrelation of the Ten Commandments. That too often we think about the Ten Commandments as these individual components that are sort of spread out before us. That, you know, I'm not going to break this one, but I, I did break that one this, today or this week. And we kind of think of them as disjointed pieces. But what we see is if we begin to take these, both the narrow and that broad heart application of them, is that when we begin, when we break one, when we violate one component of the Ten Commandments, one component of this section of God's law, all of a sudden we're, we're all of these things, it's like a, a 
pulling the thread on a sweater, on a handmade sweater, everything starts coming apart. Because we see, right, that if I'm, if I'm bearing false witness against my neighbor, then in fact I'm not, uh, I'm not loving my neighbor. Certainly I'm not being faithful to the relationships uh, that God has placed me in. Do not commit adultery. That's one about not just the marriage relationship, but about faithfulness and relationships. Uh, that we're obviously having something other than God because we, we're not concerned about God and his truth. And again, all of these things are interrelated. Uh, and so that so often where f- that falsehood exists, not just for the sake of the lie, very often for some it does, but the lie leads to some benef- perceived benefit, right? Whether it's a personal lie where we are not telling the truth about a certain circumstance or a certain thing, uh, it, it, we're, we're seeing a benefit for ourselves or sometimes the lie um, is it takes advantage of the vulnerable so that you gain something from someone uh, who was at risk. And that's what's at, at stake there in Exodus chapter 23, 7. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. So that's that in that verse, uh, per- perpetrating and promoting falsehood is linked with don't kill the, the righteous. So it's linked with actually taking away the life of another person. Again, the broad application, the interconnection of the Ten Commandments is seen. But this calls us to protect and to propagate or to promote uh, the truth. Now that goes from, you know, very, it could go again to very something as, as small as um, Facebook. It could go to something as big as the courtroom. Um, how do you deal with family relationships, right? Telling the truth, even when it hurts type situations. Um, but it also has great application for how we think about the gospel. Um, but before I get into that necessarily, I want to take you to two places, two other places in the Old Testament. And I don't want to overextend our time, but this is Zechariah chapter eight, verse 16. Um, and this is the, what the prophet says. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. And let none of you devise evil in your heart against another. And do not love perjury. For all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. Uh, So again, there's a promotion. There's a, a promotion of truth, but also a protection of truth. You see, the, the promotion of truth is that you should speak truth to one another. That's not just in the midst of a question, but that we should be about the business of telling the truth. Maybe um, unprompted sometimes. Sometimes we need to say the truth unprompted. It shouldn't just be in response to a question. But then you see the protection of the truth in verse 17 of Zechariah 8. Uh, Don't devise evil in your heart and do not love perjury. That's that's the protection of the truth. So there's this double-edged sword to this commandment of promoting truth. And we'll talk about, you know, how do we define that? Uh, And then at the same time, cutting down falsehood. So that there is a so that truth can blossom. Um, And if there's anything that our Internet age has caused to blossom, it is lies. Uh, You could you can go and destroy someone's life right now by making something up online. Uh, And it it, people get both consumed by it and then they consume other people by it. And that just all that did is is it 
uh, that which was already existing in people, uh, it just gave it a, a megaphone, right? This, this idea of I can tell a lie and I can take advantage of other people, and now I can do that on a grander scale when I have no business doing that, right? Um, another place, and this is going to be familiar territory, um, <clears throat> at least you've, you've, I know you've heard at least parts of these, but in Isaiah chapter 5, there, uh, it begins with a parable but then there are these woes to, on the wicked. And woes, right? Woes are declarations of judgment. So when we have woes here or when Jesus utters the woes to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those are utterances or oracles of judgment, um, of God's judgment upon them. But jumping into the middle of the woes in verse um, 18, Woe to those who drag iniquity. Right, sin, they drag sin with the cords of falsehood. So that sin is, the picture here is being dragged by lies. And sin as with cart ropes, who say, let him, talking about God, make speed. Let him hasten his work that we may see it. And let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass that we may know it. Uh, They're dragging sin and lies. They don't mean what they are saying. But they're putting on a show. But this is the one that's going to sound familiar to you. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That is, by definition, the the promoting... Uh, the excuse me, it's the damaging of truth and the promoting of lies. Calling that which right, you're you're stating something that is at discord with truth. So that maybe, and this is we do not have time for this, I know. But how how do we discern truth? How do, what is truth? Right, you want to say, well, truth is that which accords to the actual, that which accords to reality. Uh, and, and oftentimes that gets very hard to, uh, to, to kind of press into. Uh, but Jesus did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that the owner of all things true is God because God himself is true. So if something is true, it is true because God has made it to be true. There is no truth that is not contingent upon the truth of God. Now, I don't want to lose you. But, um, but you see that God is the author of truth. And he is not the author of confusion, one. And he's not the author of falsehood. He's not the author of lies. He's not the father of lies. That's the other guy. So truth is that which accords to who God is and what God has said and what God is doing, what God is going to do. Um, And so what this is, is not just a violation of the law of God. And this, I mean, calling evil good and good evil, which is what our society and culture have become professional at absolutely professional of calling that which is evil good and that which is good evil. Um, I mean, you consider what's been done just, you know, uh, speaking about the family is that which is good and being made it made twisted to evil or the, the role of both a man and a woman as, as equal and yet distinct that, that, so that is a, that is an evil thing in the eyes of our world, but it's a good thing in the eyes of God. Uh, another, you know, obviously uh, speaking here are some, evil things that are promoted as good, right? You could just, I mean, where would we begin? You know, but 
um, promiscuity and, um, you know, drunkenness and drugs and uh, homosexuality and transgender. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. That these things are celebrated as being good. Uh, and, And some of those, and I don't want to, this is not necessarily the time. But some of those are rooted back to what I was saying about that we've become so individually isolated that we are the source of our own truth. Um, you ever heard that? This is my truth. This is my truth and this is your truth. And we see ourselves as, um, as atomized, as atom with, an, with A-T-O-M, like an atom that makes up stuff. Uh, that we, we see, see ourselves as so disconnected from the world around us as though we could make up the truth for ourselves. But the truth that, that is ours is actually participating in the world in which we now live. And this is our Father's world. This is God's world. And we are, it is not up to us to dictate the nature of truth. Um, but we have become so self-obsessed obsessed to do so. Um, but in all of these places, we see both the, um, in, in Zechariah the protection and the promotion or the promotion and the protection of truth. And here we see this is, this is what happens. Not only are we seeing an image of this is how truth is twisted among a people, right? This is, he's talking to a whole people, but we also see that God's judgment comes upon this people because of it. Woe, right? Woe, woe, not woe, woe, but woe upon you, judgment upon you. Um, and the New Testament application of this is, in, is all over the place, but one place I want to take you is Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's all over the place, but two particular places. In Ephesians 4, 15, uh, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, that truth actually helps us grow. And promoting falsehood handicaps our, our growth. And what's happening here is not just talking about individual Christians, but the context here is, uh, that God has given all of these prophets and apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds, teachers in verse 11 for the maturing of the body, for the whole church, so that truth among the whole church is an avenue for growth for the whole church, for all of the individuals together in that church, that truth is a means that we are to grow up into the head, even Christ. And so if we are not promote protecting and promoting truth the truth of god the truth of his word the truth of the nature that he is that the the truth of god revealed to us in creation if we're not promoting that then we're actually not maturing we're not growing no matter how much we want to throw around how how much we love god how much we love our neighbors but if we refuse to acknowledge to protect and to promote the truth of god we are not mature people that does not give us liberty to be anti-loving and be a jerks to people and be dropping condemnation and judgment upon people. But um, what we need to see is that there is not a disconnect, one, between truth and maturity, and there isn't a disconnect between truth and love. Um, speaking the truth in love. Um, that the best thing that we could do, and I've had to learn this as a pastor um, is that I want, you know, I want people to be happy. I want people to like me. I want to be in, you know, but there comes a time where you have to speak the truth in love and say, you are out of step right here. And all love, right? It is going to crush your soul. And not only is it going to crush your soul, but it's going to handicap our whole church. 
um, for you to continue pursuing the lie that you're pursuing. And the lie is some form of sin. Um, and it will, it will hinder us all in our growth. And that's, I think that picture of the body and the necessity to live by truth, um, that how you live under God's truth, in God's truth, in God's world, isn't just, it is about you and the Lord, but it's not just about you and the Lord. That it actually, in ways that you can't necessarily put your physical finger on, but it affects the whole church. It affects the whole body of Christ here. If, we are going to, if we're not going to pursue truth, we're not going to grow. Uh, and part of that is, you know, um, we tell the truth to each other. We, um, if, there are, uh, if there are rifts and um, if there are old fights and old un- resentment, old unforgiveness, you've got to get straight with that. Um, another, another part of that is that, hey, we should have not just a toleration, but that we should have a love for uh, the truth of the word of God. Um, and I know sometimes, and this is, this is, sometimes I preach long, sometimes I go overboard, uh, but there should be overall, not just, not just the Sundays when I preach too long, but that there should be overall a love and a longing for the truth of God in his word. Um, and, and that should be, that's a sign of maturity. I'm not asking you to say, hey, your sermons are great, right? Not everyone is great. I understand. But the overall, we should be longing not just for what Jacob's going to say, but we should be longing for what God is saying in his word to us. Because this is, it's food for us. This is what builds us up. This is one of the means that God makes us like Jesus. Okay. Um, verse 25 of the same chapter where he, uh, the Apostle Paul actually quotes that passage from Zechariah. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth. Again, you're, um, you're doing away with falsehood, speaking truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So that the operation of membership, that sounds like a church word. It's actually, it's a biblical word. But the, the operation of, the, of membership is that we're truthful. We're, we tell the truth. I was, Maxine was just telling me a story. I don't want to get her in trouble, so I won't give. I know this is all like online. Uh, so I won't tell all the details. But how a, uh, one of my favorite words is cabal, right? Uh, here, here's a, a group of people who are of ill intent, and that there was such a group here in our church before me, a long time ago, before, like, before me, before, you know, where, uh, and that there was a pe- people of, now, there have been some of those since I've been here, and I'm not talking about those, but this was another time, and that they met somewhere else, and they plotted out at somebody's garage or somewhere, they, this group of people plotted out what they were going to come into the church and do. Uh, that they were going to, you know, how the events were going to be, what they were going to say, what, what motions were going to be brought up. Uh, and it was all, you know, I won't say, I won't give too, much, too many details. But that is, is a very vivid picture and a very poignant picture of a group of people succumbing to the lie. They're swallowing a lie. And what it did is that it came and wrecked this church. That's not the, that wasn't the first time. It wasn't the last time. I uh, pray we've seen the last time. I, I'm really good, you know. But uh, it came and it did great damage. So that, that's just one. But, but imagine that. That was like a, it's like a you know, hydrogen bomb, a bomb going off in the fellowship. I mean, people were cussing in here and out. You know, like terrible, terrible things. Um, 
And what's, and I'm gonna, I don't want to ramble, but I heard, I heard the similar stories in my last church too. People coming up in the sanctuary, you know, all, they, 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 were, they wanted to do something and they got mad and they started cussing. I heard it yesterday at a group of pastors. I'm going to tell you all this. Y'all come, ever come into this building and you start hurling around cuss words, you have never seen me mad. You will see me mad on that day. Um, but anyways, not a threat, just a statement. Um, but, but anyway, but that, that's, that's, a, that's a small, that's a, that's a very vivid, right, big scale. But what I want, to, want you to imagine is that as that group of people swallowed a lie and did great damage to the health and the maturity and the vibrancy of the fellowship of this church, when we individually do that, where we have a disdain for the truth of God, where we have a disdain for the word of God, even if it's something very personal, you are, it might not be like an A-bomb, but you're like one of those like bombs that does a lot of, like they do the carpet bombing with, uh, that it does, it's still, it's still something that's going to disrupt the fellowship because we are a spiritual body built upon the truth of Jesus, built upon the truth of the gospel. And if we don't have any, if we aren't pursuing the truth, if we don't care about the truth, if we just care about how we feel, what we want, what's, what's most desirable to us, or if, you know, if somebody, never mind, I don't want to get into those waters. Um, my old church, uh, you know, had a, had a run in about a bench that somebody had donated. So, but it, and they wanted, they wanted to act like it was theirs because they had donated it to the church. Um, and so even if, you know, your Aunt Betty donated something to the church, you know, there's, there's, if we're pursuing that lie, even individually, it's wrecking our fellowship. Uh, and you're actually, you're not putting away falsehood and you're not speaking the truth to your neighbor uh, so that we can grow up uh, in love to Jesus. I want to read you a, a quote and then I'll be quiet. Um, this is, a, it's a pseudonym. It's Theodore Dalrymple. I don't think he's a believer, but the quote is good. Uh, to assent to obvious lies is to cooperate with evil and in some small way to become evil oneself. One standing to resist anything is thus eroded and even destroyed. A society of emasculated liars is easy to control. I think if you examine political correctness, it has the same effect <clears throat> and is intended to. That opens another can of worms that I'm not going to deal with right now. Um, but the idea that we, and this is, but we are perpetually told every day, you go watch any, any news outlet. I don't care if you, you pick them, what side of the spectrum they're on these days. Somewhere along the line, they're going to tell you to swallow a lie. They're going to tell you to swallow a lie about the nature of this world, to swallow a lie about the nature of humanity, to swallow a lie about the nature of the government. They're going to tell you to swallow a lie. Uh, and, and some of them are over and over and over and over and over and over again. Right? The, you need to, this, is, this, is, this is actually true. This is actually true. This is actually true. Um, a, a, you know, a man can be a woman. A man can be a woman. A man can be a woman. Or flip-flop that. A woman can be a man. A woman, and, and you just have to flip a switch and change some pronouns. And you have this new thing, right? And that is we are being force-fed to say you will live by these lies. And we have a responsibility and an opportunity and I'm, I'm trying not to get on the soap ops, but we, we have a responsibility and an opportunity to be a distinct people who stands for truth in such a day as this. But if we, if we are a people, Christians, pastors, professors, whoever, if we are a people who cowtail to the culture in this regard, we will have lost our witness. But we are told day in and day out that our witness, 
I'm, I'm told, at least in the, the thing, not, you know, not literally in front of me usually, but, um, but somehow that my witness as a pastor and a Christian is, hinges on my acceptance of these things. Uh, and that's just, that's just one example, the transgenderism. That's just hot on the press right now. But there are, you could, you could fill up a uh, bathtub with other lies, right, of the lies that, that we are continually forced for it. So we have to be people who are concerned about truth. Not that we're, we perpetually have to be nitpicky about everything. That's, I have to be careful of that. Um, but that we have to be aware that we have discernment up and running, saying, I'm in the word, I'm going to be prayed up, I'm going to discern and test what I hear. And as scripture says, test the spirits. Is it promoting truth or is it degrading truth? Is it uh, according, is it according to what God has revealed in his word or is it contrary to it? Um, and, I, and if it's contrary to it, then I have to take my stand on the word of God. We are in the um, what is it? The 500th year since um, Martin Luther came to the, the diet of, of worms, of worms, if you're German. Um, right, 1517, he nails the 95 Theses. Um, <clears throat> and then in 1519, he stood before a diet of worms. Not like, a, not like he had to eat a bunch of worms, but uh, a diet was this official gathering. And he had to, they, they were questioning him, and there was a real chance... That because he was teaching mainly that he was preaching that you could be justified before God by faith alone in Christ alone, um, <clears throat> which is biblical gospel. Uh, there's a good chance that he could lose his life. And he came to this people and after this, this is a long story, but um, he said, my um, my conscience is held captive to the word of God. Uh, that there comes a point, um, And I think Christians were there. We've been there, uh, and maybe it, we're just now waking up to the reality uh, that our conscience, what we believe, we have to be lashed to the word of God. We have to be bound there. Otherwise, we will be consumed. There was a time where, where in America you could walk the line, so to speak. You could walk on the in-between, and nobody could really tell, right? Um, just Everybody's a good folk. Good fo- everybody looks, you know. Similar values, similar beliefs, um, but the the stark difference between Jesus's people in a secularized culture that difference is becoming vivid, more vivid, every day. And we have to be a people whose consciences, what we believe, is bound um, by the Word of God. So may we be a people who doesn't bear false witness, but that we bear witness that this is our Father's world. And that Jesus is the Savior of sinners. And that he is coming back to judge the quick, the living, and the dead. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would burden us for truth. The truth that's revealed in your word. The truth that is how you have ordered this world. uh, The truth of Christ uh, and of the world to come. Would you give us courage Satisfied in Jesus, courage to stand firm in your word. I pray for these saints and the voices and the things that they will be confronted with, even maybe even after they leave this place tonight, or even as they go out tomorrow or this week or next week, they will hear these voices of calling that which is evil good and that which is good evil. Would you rescue them both from judgment 
and spiritual pride. Save them from Pharisaism, but also, Lord, save them from capitulation where they would just bend the knee to the culture. Would you help them find the courageous Jesus way to bear truthful, loving witness in these days? God, we thank you that you have loved us with the everlasting love. We thank you that we are secure in your hand. And we thank you that you are bringing this world to its appropriate end in your time. We ask that you would give us grace to labor until the day that you call us home or until the day that Christ returns. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.